people piled in today, um, I have a topic I'd like to talk about, which is probate sales at court confirmation, which is a popular topic. I get involved in that business pretty regularly, but I thought before I would start, I'd see if anybody has any particular questions I can help them with today. Who's got a question regarding um, probate in general or a problem or an issue that I can help you with? Anybody? Again, as a prize for the question of the week. No, not hearing any? Okay, so I wanna to talk today about uh, court confirmation sales. And I'm going to share my screen. There we go. And this is a piece of the business that's pretty well known about, but very few people really understand how it really works and more importantly, how to make it work for them and their clients or themselves. So the first thing I would say about court confirmation sales is you have to know the rules. Um, you know, probate, one of my great friends and future guests in this call, Tawny English, who really is a master at trustee administration real estate uh, and helping fiduciaries sell real estate, says probate is really um, a court case where you're suing your own estate and the leftovers after the battle get divvied up to your family members. And so if you're unfortunate enough to have your property sold by the state or by the county on behalf of the state, um, imagine, you know, what does the county do efficiently? You know, not so much. It all costs a little extra money. The fees are high to get your license or fees are high to get other things, parking permits and parking tickets and such. So it's the same thing with, with probate real estate that you really don't want the state to be selling your real estate. So the first thing I would say is you want to know the rules. And so um, there are a number of them. Um, and uh, the rules are generally speaking, when a court confirmation of a sale is required, um, there's a couple of things. What happens is, um, uh, good question, Todd, get to that in just a second. That's a great question. Um, if a, uh, uh, a court, if a sale has to be confirmed by the court, why might it be confirmed by the court? Because the administrator or the executive of the state uh, isn't qualified for whatever reasons, or they don't want to and they want the court to confirm the sale for whatever reasons. Um, then what happens is the court has certain criteria. Basically, a court says, hey, here's how you sell property. Get into escrow, get all your contingencies waived, and then come to court and we'll see if anybody was willing to pay more than you by, in California, 5% plus $500. And they're willing to show up waiving all conditions. And they're willing to show up with a cashier's check for 10% of that bid. So for example, if in court, if the, if the property had sold outside of court or before the court hearing for $500,000, then you'd have to be willing to pay more than that by 5% plus $500, so that's $525,500. And you have to show up in court with a cashier's check made out to the estate, which means you have to know the name of the estate. Cashier's check means you have to go to the bank and get it drawn up, you can't do it yourself. For 10%, so that's $52,500, and be willing to waive all contingencies. So let me ask you, what kind of a sale would normally you be willing to do that? What kind of sale, on what condition would you be willing to buy property uh, as is, no conditions waived, no inspections, nothing, as is, walking with 10% cashier's check uh, and be willing to close possibly as quick as 10 days? So Daniel says distressed. Generally, yeah. Uh, one way to think of it, or maybe another word would be highly motivated, right? That, that, but I'm saying in terms of the, 
the buyer, what kind of buyer is willing to buy a property in those circumstances? And an investor, yeah, probably an investor, though you'd be surprised. There are people who buy the property because they're, uh, they know the property they want to live in the neighborhood. So uh, not much profit, possibly, but all, or they could buy when there's a lot of profit. Uh, Sean says uh, no profit. Uh, undervalued, it has plenty to turn a profit. Exactly. So they, they, they see that there's a gap. They're buying a property. If you're buying it at 525, 500, and you're ready to close no contingencies, you might normally pay 550 or 575 if you could get in, if you knew all the conditions. But since you don't, you're willing to waive it and not, not get those extra values for your property. So generally speaking, a buyer who shows up at court has to be ready to go. In my mind, they're paying a discount to what it would go normally in the marketplace. Sometimes I see the properties being sold for the same price I've expected in the market. So again, just to go over the rules real quick, in California, you have to be willing to show up, bid over the prior price, which is made public, buy 5% plus $700, waiving all conditions with a cashier's check for 10% made out to the estate, ready to close in as quickly as 10 days, so typically it's more like 30. Those are the rules. Now, I will also say there are a lot of other rules. And I've been able to make a lot of money by knowing the rules better than the other agent or better than the attorneys do. And in many cases, knowing the rules well enough to instruct the judge what the rules are. In fact, I have on my shoulder a copy of the blue book as the probate code. When I go to court on a bid, I bring it with me. There's certain sections that I go over regularly that protect my commission when it comes time to get paid. And as much as I want to help people, uh, I also want to get paid. That's part of, part of the business. So you got to know the rules. Let me just check some questions real quick. Um, Christopher, I know typically probate sales are delivered vacant. That's sometimes true, sometimes not true. Sometimes there's tenants. Sometimes there's heirs in the property. Five brothers, one's living there. Um, so sometimes you have to be willing to buy the property as is. I, I, I have a property recently where the, the buyer bought it vacant. The MLS was unclear. But because of my experience in court, I got the estate to acknowledge the property would be delivered vacant, and we made them deliver it vacant. It took them three months to get the heirs out. They weren't really tenants. They were kind of squatters, drug dealers. And, and I think about 10 truckloads of, of junk out of the house. Um, so that comes from experience knowing how to do that. So sometimes they try to pass off not delivering it vacant, uh, and it takes somebody to figure out how to do that. Um, Todd asks, is it common practice to reach out to the state and probate lawyers to find properties? Yeah, attorneys don't generally have inventory of property, and I don't think they enjoy those phone calls. Um, I think you can talk to the attorneys when they have property to sell uh, directly as a principal or through an agent. I think most investors are going to have much better time using an agent to act as an intermediary rather than approaching them themselves. Uh, Ken asked, can I explain what a fiduciary is? A fiduciary is somebody who acts on behalf of somebody else. So in the course of probate, you often have a fiduciary, a professional person whose job it is, is to represent other parties. So let's say a father passes, leaves property to a son in the will, but the son has to go through probate and maybe doesn't know how to handle the process. He might hire a fiduciary whose job it is, not just the attorney, but the fiduciary would handle all responsibilities of the administrator, not just the attorney's job. Most commonly, the fiduciary is an attorney. But sometimes people hire a separate fiduciary, and that way the attorney and them are kind of separated. Um, I think other questions, not much inventory, not much profit, got that. Got property with 19 offers. Is probate 
uh, over asking price, um, it went up to eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, Alicia, um, you know, all property right now is uh, going to get a lot of attention, um, and uh, those things are difficult. Um, vacancy, Jim says, vacancies are difficult to effectuate. Um, yes and no. It's hard to get tenants out for sure, but sometimes if the party is an heir, then they have money coming to them through the estate, and you can use that to leverage to maybe get them out of the property. That's one of the things that I do. So continuing here, um, I think I, I cut up all the questions. Know the rules. There's a lot of detailed rules. Go regularly and learn. So I recommend, uh, we can't in, in Los Angeles now because of the court in COVID, and I'm guessing we won't be able to for a while. But I would say that, particularly if you're in a, in a county that allows you to go, I know somebody on this call a few weeks ago uh, said they could get into a court in San Bernardino and did and learned a lot. I would say definitely go. If your county allows you to go into the court and see sales, I would want to watch everyone I could and learn who the parties are, see the attorneys, see investors, see the judges, how they act. I would definitely go and learn. And so you would learn the process. You'd see it in person. You'll see sometimes buyers trying to buy without cashier's checks. You'll see sometimes listing agents not check cashier's checks before the bid. You'll, I learned a lot by going, I went every day for a month before I started even listing property to learn the process in LA. And I found the top agents, they were good. They're good agents, they weren't great. They, weren't, they didn't do things that I couldn't figure out and they were missing some little details. And when I saw all of the process for a month, I could take the best practices from each and create a better system than any one of their individual systems. You know, most of us do things a certain way over and over again. But if you really go and research all the competition, you'll learn how the best one does each little detail add together to have a better system. So go to court, you'll learn the process. Uh, also, you'll meet attorneys that way. And attorneys just seeing me in court. I dress, now, if you go uh, and you want business from attorneys, you should dress like an attorney. So for men in LA, for sure, that means coat and tie. Uh, for sure, conservative looking coat and tie, not a fancy one. For women, whatever the equivalent is for women. Because, and you'll see women who wear like dresses or skirts, but they'll put a coat, that kind of look with a coat over it. You should go that way. If you want business maternities, when you meet them, you won't look like them. And you'll also see them act in court. You'll see if they're good or not good. You'll see if they need your help or don't need your help. So a great way to meet them, walk up, introduce yourself, ask them for a cup of coffee, ask them out to lunch. Again, subject to COVID. Judges, all the judges are different. You're gonna learn how different judges do different things. And I became invaluable to attorneys when I could say, I know the judge so-and-so will allow this because I've seen them do it, right? That's, that's money. That's something that they, they can't look it up in a book or get that research. When I was the only person going to court every day and seeing sales personally, I had that advantage over anybody else. And also you meet the clerks. Now, in general, maybe this is my particular stereotype, government employees, to me, always act like they're so overworked and underpaid. They might be, but certainly in other county, in general, I'd find that they can be very standoffish, but when you come regularly and make an effort to meet them and show them respect, I found that I could lower those walls and earn their respect, earn their support, get them to cut me a little break on a little information, getting a signature from the judge when needed. So very valuable, if you can go to court, you're gonna learn a lot and if you can meet the clerks as well. Now I know in, in many areas of the country, you can walk up and meet the clerk and they'll become your new best friend. That's not true in LA. Um, and, and I would say you have to earn your way in on that. Very difficult 
hard work to meet the uh, clerks on a daily basis, but worthwhile if you can do it. And then you'll learn the court, the layout of the court. In LA, we have courts on the second floor and sixth floor, and the research room is on the fourth floor. And just knowing that, I could direct people, I could go to the right places, I, could, I, could, I would purposely walk in a certain way and walk out a certain way to try to catch all the different courtrooms to maybe bump into an attorney. And I would love saying, oh yeah, I'm on my way to this hearing or on my way to that hearing, because I kind of look like them, talk like them, act like them. They're gonna assume I know what I'm doing and are more comfortable giving me business. So that's how to get business in the courts. And the other thing I did was I would teach investors the process. And so back before COVID, I used to host a meetup in the LA County Courthouse at Moss Courthouse. And I would teach them the process to meet them and pre-qualify. Some are on this call, some have been on this call in the past. And in general, the process is, if you wanna buy a property, you have to show up with 10% of the purchase price that day in cashier's check format, not personal check, not blank, has to be made out to the estate almost always, not always, but almost always. Um, and you do available, ready to close 10 days after the original court order. What does that mean? So when you go to court that day, the attorney should, many times does, doesn't, most times doesn't, prepare a court order and give it to the judge to sign as soon as possible. In some cases, the judge signs it that day, you need to close in 10 days. I understand in San Bernardino, the clerk prepares the, the order on the spot, the judge signs it on the spot, you always get out at the end of the day, 10 days to close. In LA, most attorneys don't know to do the form, they'll wait around for a time, uh, and then maybe they get around to it, they submit it, it's done wrong, gets kicked back, they redo it, goes back in. Uh, it can, I've, I've had escrows that take three, four months because the attorney never got their act together to get the order done properly. So you have a little bit of gap time there that you can count on sometimes, depending on who the attorney is. If I know the attorney has not done a bunch of probates, I'm gonna assume they're not gonna get the paperwork done right on the first pass, I'll tell my buyer that. And then you have to close. You really do not want to back out on a deal and probate. Why? In general, when you put money down, uh, it goes into escrow. Both parties have to agree to return it. On a probate, you're making a check to the estate. Now, many times, attorneys make a classic mistake. The attorney says, well, we don't have a checking account for the state, so can you instead wire the money to escrow? And I say, sure, because my buyer is way better off with the money in escrow, which is by definition an independent third party, than they are being giving the money to the seller, because the seller is never giving the money back. Classic mistake. So if the money is in escrow, you want to get it back, it's hard. The other reason why you have to close is so again, it's hard because normally the money goes to the state directly. So you've waived conditions, you've given them the down payment money. You also have to close because in a normal transaction, if a buyer and seller are fighting, you have to sue the other party. In this case, they're already in a lawsuit called probate. They're gonna to go to court in front of a judge. It takes nothing for them to write up a, an order to hold you in contempt or hold you responsible to close responsible for penalties, and really the judge can decide. Now normally they're gonna give you a chance to answer. It's not that simple, but still it's a lot easier than filing a whole lawsuit. So I tell my buyers, don't buy the property unless you intend to close. This is not the deal to play around with. Don't go in with contingencies. You gotta be clear, you're ready to close it no matter what the, the circumstance is. So that's the basics of buying property in court and why I think it's so powerful. Because you have a chance to I think go to court, you have a chance to see the judge, you have a chance to see the, 
the um, um, process in person is a big advantage. And I think that everybody likes the kind of the drama of the bidding. And I get asked a lot about the bidding. What's that look like? And I would say it's always different. Some judges will go up in increments of 1,000, some 5,000. Some will do it different ways each time. There's no real rhyme or reason to how they do it. Some will ask each, if there's multiple bidders, ask each one, will you accept that price? Then go to the next price, will you accept it? They all do it differently. And I've seen the same judge do it two different ways in the same day. So I just try to coach my buyer to say, be ready. And my job is to be there to help them on the spot. But the key is to know how much you're willing to bid when you walk in the door. And don't, don't vary from that. And don't have second thoughts. OK, so that's a quick overview of buying property in court. Um, anybody on this call ever been in court and bought a, a probate property or been in a probate property and lost? And so unmute and tell me or put it in the chat box. No? OK. Anybody ever see a property go to court that you wanted to know more about or maybe would like to buy? Anybody want to just answer your question just to make me feel good because I'm feeling lonely? Is this working? Hello? Testing one, two, three. No? Well, well, you know, we can't go into court anyway in, in LA because of COVID. So if you if if um if we could go, I mean, if, if we could go into court, many of us would just to sit there and observe and to learn. Well, so interesting point you make, I, I, not, not to be argumentative, but I will say that when properties need court confirmation, which is about 40 or 50 a month in LA County, if you're the listing agent, you're allowed to go to court for that. If you're the attorney, you're allowed to go, you probably should go to court for that, either the listing agent or the attorney. If you're an agent representing a buyer who wants to go to court, you can go to court for that. If your buyer wants to bid on it, you can go to court for that. Now you can go in and via video. I recommend my clients we go in person because sometimes there's communication problems. We won one property because I think the agent and the buyer weren't paying attention when the judge was going through the bidding. And I think they just either forgot to bid or didn't raise and we won the property and they after, so the bidding was done they said, hey, we won to bid. And the judge is like, I don't care. You, you know, you didn't hear me. That's just the way it goes. So um, I would always go. You talk about buying a property for half a million or a million dollars, and my commission could be, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars. I'm going to go in person, and and plus I'd like to go and learn. I like to see the attorney. I like to see the judge. So I would definitely, if you have a chance, if you're part of a transaction, I would say go. Uh, but you're correct, um, Joanne. Currently, you can't just go as a spectator and watch uh, unless you're party to a case. They won't let you in. Uh, Alicia, I see your hand up. How can I help you, Alicia? Yes, hi, Bill. How are you? So I have a question. So basically, like, I don't know how the probate process go. I have one of the buyers I have, uh, she was making an offer on a probate sale. However, I, I was contacting the probate agent, and the probate agent said she he has over, like, 20 offers, and it went up from 70, uh, 750K. Oh up to 800k so so how does this process go i mean he say all all the buyers has to remove all contingency and goes to court doesn't mean that even though the offer goes up uh when they go to court other people still can bid on it so you asked a couple questions there and there's a couple misconceptions i'm gonna try to unpack a little bit so like any property you can list it low and have people bid it up higher before you go to court Many listing agents, I believe, wrongly think that your offer has to be no contingencies and your offer has to be 10%. The best practice is 
Normal contingencies, normal EMD, earnest money deposit, 3%. And then when your buyer has is ready to clear contingencies and raise their bid, their uh, deposit to 10% to do that, and that's when they then schedule the court date. That's going to get the best price for the estate. Now, sometimes the listing agent, my experience is a lot of people go into probate real estate because they've been told it's an easy way you can double in deals. And I think that is, to me, slimy and dishonest. And I think that's an old methodology that worked before technology and the internet and, and currently. I don't think it works consistently as much as it used to. Um, but So I would say that, um, if, uh, and oftentimes I do still find listing agents try to kind of hide the deal for their favored buyer, hoping they can double in the deal. But when it had, and so to answer your question, once they pick the best offer, if the estate needs court approval, about 10% do, what's called limited authority. They need court approval for whatever reason. Now this buyer who had, was picked out of 19 buyers, he puts his 10% down, they file for court date. It could take them a week to a month to get the court date set, then 30 days for the hearing date to show up. Assuming the attorney does not does the paper correctly, half the time they don't, it gets continued for another month or two. Just that's the statistics. And then when they show up, if the price is so low they've got a good deal, people like me will show up with investors and we'll overbid them. And now they have to bid up against us or somebody else. Bill, so basically you're saying that even though they pick the best, highest offer, they go to the court and the court still have other people bidding on the property. Is that what you're saying? Well, for those that need court approval, if you want to leave offline, if you want to text or email me the property address, I'll look it up and I'll show you whether it needs to go back to court for confirmation or not. In the MLS, it should say court confirmation required, yes or no. Or in the remarks, it might say, uh, "Are you? I see you're in Beverly Hills. Are you a member of CLAW? Yes. So in the MLS, they'll say in the private remarks, uh, court required, yes or no. Now, oftentimes no. agents do that wrong or don't know to fill it out. But if you want, offline, if you want to text me or email me, I could look up the property, find the actual court case, and show you if they actually require uh, court confirmation or not. So, Bill, you're saying that different property has different requirements? Some of them yes. you don't? Yes. Okay. So in probate, there's two categories whether that, uh, which determine most likely if they need court confirmation or not. There are the majority, 90%, Marcy, I see your hand up. I'll get you in a second. 90% are what are called full authority, where the, the uh, administrator of the estate has the right to sell the property uh, with full authority unless somebody objects. So that's a little known exception. What has to happen in that case is when they select an offer, they have to file a 15-day notice of proposed action. So what they'll do is they'll file in the court case, we plan to sell the house to Mr. and Mrs. Jones for $800,000, and then anybody in that case who has the right to be noticed can theoretically object to the price. So if you have five brothers and four agree and one disagrees, the one that disagrees can say, hey, I object. I think you sold it too cheap. And theoretically, there could be a hearing in a court case to sell it or not. 99.9% .9 of the time when they have full authority, it just goes through. 10% of the cases have what are called limited authority where the estate cannot sell the property without scheduling a court hearing to confirm the sale. And so in those cases, they have to go through the whole the process of publicizing the sale, 
getting offers in, picking the best offer, and then scheduling a court date, and then showing up in court without buyers saying we're ready to buy. Is anybody willing to overbid us by 5% plus $500 with a cashier's check for 10% made to the state, waiving all contingencies and ready to close in 10 days? So your particular property, I don't know. Like I said, if you want to send me the info or you want to talk offline, I'm going to leave right after this call today to go to this uh, beer party I'm going to. But I'd be glad to look it up and get back to you and help, help you understand the process a little better. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Of course. Um, Marcy Green, I saw your hand up. Marcy Green of Green Financial. I'm sorry, Sea Green Financial. Sea Green, S-E-A, like the Mediterranean Sea. That's how come I named it because I was um, thinking about uh, snorkeling in the Mediterranean <laughs> Sea. And I said, hmm, I like that. So that's how I named my company. There you go. Uh, I just wanted to add one thing. When I was in Carroll Eagles School, uh, Bill, um, we were allowed to, um, this was a number of years ago, over 10, I don't know, 15 or so years ago, uh, we were allowed to go to court. I don't know if that included probate court downtown, but this mm -hmm. was in Van Nuys. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, we had to go and, and we ha actually had to go and make a report about it. But, yes. you know, it was interesting Um which was totally different from when I worked for a bankruptcy attorney in, uh, well, in, in Warner Center. Uh, and and that, that was a totally different setup. And it was much more fun to work for a judge and watch how she is able to handle the things. And when she wanted me to come in and interrupt her at a certain time, that was also a lot of fun. So I just thought I'd put that in as uh, something light and airy for you. Thank you. Look, uh, there was a time that probate was distributed to the courts like Van Nuys, but now LA County, 99% are done at Stanley Mosque. Some are done in the Antelope Valley in Lancaster Palmdale at the court there. And then some are done if there's like, a, you know, a, a medical situation or a um, security situation, they'll do it at some of the outlying courts, but 99% are done at Stanley Mosque in LA County. In other counties, it's different. Um, I got a question from um, uh, Duane, licensed in the tri-state multi-county area of Maryland, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Now it's interesting. I would think of, I think of Maryland, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, but okay. Uh, that surround Hagerstown, Maryland. Do all states' processes generally use the same, which allows the public to attend? Um, you know, I would say, Duane, I don't know. In general, in general speaking, courtrooms generally, most commonly, are public because that protects parties. Uh, and there's an idea that we want the government held accountable and the more things are public. So uh, usually things have to be justified to not make them public. One example, Britney Spears famously is in probate court in LA and she regularly goes to department four and the, the, the leading judge there is uh, Judge uh, Barbara Penny phenomenal judge, and they'll shut the courtroom down, but they do allow members of the press, I think there's like a lottery system, because somebody should be there from the public to see what goes on to protect all the parties, including, in this case, uh, Britney Spears. So to answer your question, I don't know, but generally I would say that you can go to court subject to COVID restrictions. Now, that's a whole different ballgame now, 
and I, I feel like, you know, uh, without getting into the politics of it, that we're, we're really tightening back up public venues. Um, as, but, you know, I'm vaccinated and I can wear a mask. So I'd like to think they'll open up the court if you're vaccinated and have a mask. That would be great. But uh, we don't know. And um, as of now, you can't go in the court unless you're a party or you're an agent got a bid on the property, you can go. Uh, and they'll tell you they want you to come in via video unless you need to come in in person to, to do your job. And in my case, my job requires me to give my client the best representation, which means I go to court. So, um, uh, so again, I, I would check with each county. And if I were you, Duane, I would pick one county to start with and master it, and then another, and then another. I would not, I understand in real estate, you can sell all three counties. But if I was working probate, I'd pick one and be the expert in one county of Maryland or one county of Pennsylvania or one county of West Virginia, because each one I'm sure is different. Like in California, LA is very different than San Diego, very different than Orange County. The websites are different. The procedures are different. The, the attorneys are different. And I would pick one and maybe go to all three and check them out, but I would pick one and do my business and really be the expert in one county. And I think as an expert in any one of those counties in particular. Can you hear me, Bill? I sure can, Dwayne. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, I'm here on the East Coast. So uh, as it turns out, I live in Washington County, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that the only way I can access the, um, the um, pro, um, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling here, access the, the, pro, the, uh, the new probate, there's a word for it, uh, the things that are just been... Um, when they've initiated the process, uh, the is to actually, what? The initial filing of the, wills? The filings? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, there's another word. But anyway, the only way I can do that is actually go to the Register of Wills office in town. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a web base uh, for that, web website for that, you cannot access it unless you're there in that office on their computers. And uh, so I'm just, I've just been in there once or twice just to kind of get a beginning understanding of it. I find it intriguing what you said about go to court and learn, you know, real mm -hmm. life scenario like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's what I plan to do is to work with Washington County and then go out from there. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say that um, a couple of things. First is if the only way to go to get business uh, is to go to the courtroom and go to that computer. I would be there as often as I'm allowed to safely. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that once now for the rest of the call. Do whatever is safe for you, whatever that means. Right. Right. But I would do whatever I could. I would go there if I could safely, um, because who else is going to show up? When attorneys going to show up to check the records, or other you know investors will show up for the records. Number one. Number two. My experience is sometimes the court will say it's only at that location. But the county has computers in other court facilities or other other locations. Like in LA, for example, now we're a bigger county, we're right. the biggest in the country. But we have we have not just the downtown LA court, but every other county courthouse, <coughs> excuse me, has the type of computer connected that can access probate records. Even though they don't do probates in the Val at Van Nuys or in Long Beach, they have computers that will access the same data you can get. Number two. Number three, I would say, my guess is there's there's a company that goes to that computer and download and takes the data and would sell it to you, probably cheap enough that it's worth your time if you're in business. Um, you know, I I pay 
uh, about you know under hundred dollars a month from four different services, because my time's worth way more than going there and doing the data myself. On my website, on the far right side, I have a probate resources, and I have a list of different data sources. Each county is different. In LA, we have a lot of choices. In other counties, you have less. Successorsdata.com is one in that they say they have every county in the country. Um, so if you want to go on my website, dlaprobateexpert.com, in the top right, there's probate resources and drop down, there's a data there, a list of different sources with phone numbers and such, and you can maybe get some information there. So you can buy the data, that will at least give you the filing information of who the petitioners are, who the attorneys are, and maybe help you, you know, focus your, your attention. Yeah, you know, the first time I went in there, first or second, started, you know, I went in with a friendly attitude to the lady at the front desk. And I asked her, I, I said, by the way, I said, do any other realtors come in here and do this? She said, no, no. There you go. And here I am in a, you know, a semi-rural county. Um, so you would think that there might be, but it seems to me there can be a niche there. So, yeah, no, I, I've been watching some of your YouTube, some other stuff that you put out there. Greatly appreciated. That's it. I'm done. Thanks, Dwayne. Uh, thanks for coming in from rural Maryland. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm a partner with a guy in a business in um, Rockville, Maryland, which is more Rockville, Metro, sure. Washington, D.C. Metro. Oh, yeah. Well, I was born next to D.C. And, okay. uh, you know, as life goes, you migrate in different directions. So here we are up in the more we're on the west side of the blue uh, South Mountain, which is where the Appalachian Trail is. Nice. Boonesboro, to be more exact, Boonesboro. Boonesboro, if you're from here. Boonesboro. <laughs> Yeah, you got Waynesboro, Waynesboro, you know. <laughs> well, thanks. We need a little dictionary for our Maryland to English dictionary. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and my aunt, my favorite aunt, uh, uh, lived in Salisbury, Maryland. Salisbury, sure. Yeah, we we like to go down the Eastern Shore and pass through it on the way to Chincoteague Island, where they have the ponies. We uh, she, they had a chicken farm there. She was part of the family. Oh yeah, family. a lot of those down there. Yeah, and we, and we go there and uh, when they had dinner, they go out and get a couple of chickens and do up the chickens, and then she would go to the neighbors and get some corn and some other neighbors get some green beans and make yeah. dinner. It was really well yeah. different than not quite like going here. We go to Ralph's and pick everything up, but uh, it was farm fresh, so it was a lot of fun. Okay, other questions. Well, thanks for coming. Any anybody else? Let me ask you this: Anybody else on the call here ever been to any court besides Los Angeles County? Because I think when you get outside of the main metro areas, the courts, I think, generally are a much richer resource, less competition. And um, I, I definitely, if I was in a rural county or a summer rural county, look, if I was, in, if I was outside of L.A., if I was in San Bernardino Riverside, I would, I would master that one county that I lived in. Anybody else? No? Mm -mm. Okay. Right. Same, man. We're a people. Okay. Bill, you have, go ahead, uh, Janice. Uh, master it by going down to the county and like what, go into the probate court and then meeting the attorneys that show up there? Yeah, I think, you know, um, like just now with, you know, uh, one of the people, Alicia asked me a question about a property and how do you look up the information? Just yeah. knowing the county website is a, is a great tool. And then the things you can't get on the website that you need to go to court for, oh, yeah. because I was going once a week, I could. I made a list of things to research. When I showed up, I would research a bunch of stuff at one time. So knowing what you can get in court, you can't get in person is is I think a vital information. Um, and then I think you know as you learn, meeting the clerk, seeing what you can do, what you can't do, 
you know, attorneys have to file electronically, petitioners can, can file papers there, used to be the case, now not the case of COVID, just knowing those rules, where to get certified copies of things back when that was important. So I would just say just knowing what's available and then and meeting people. Again, when court was open, I went every day. And just like a real estate agent might door knock, I kind of door knocked the courthouse when I was there. My goal was every day to meet one half people, name, address, phone number, email, and permission to reach them. And um, uh, I, I averaged that and it was great. Um, now with COVID, I can't go there. So I would say if you're able to, depending on the county, and again, presuming you do it in a safe way, uh, I would go. I, if I wanted to build my business appropriate, I would be there every day. It, it, to me, going to the probate court was like if when I was in college being invited to a sorority house. Of course I would go. I mean, I, all the girls are in one house. I could show up and, and meet them there. Of course I would go. So if you're in real estate, they're selling houses in court. There's attorneys there. There's, there's investors there, wholesalers. Of course I would go to court if I had the chance. Um, okay. I've got a question from Jim. Um, can you talk a little bit about conservatorship where the homeowner is still alive and incapacitated, perhaps in a nursing home, and the family otherwise needs to look at the property? So a conservatorship is a, is a tool, is an entity that's created to act on behalf of somebody who doesn't have the capacity to act on their own. It's getting very common now, more common as, as the number of, of our population gets older and we have more common dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. Uh, but I've also seen conservatorships where somebody had an automobile accident, terrible case of uh, somebody who showed up who was traveling to Los Angeles from Japan, got an automobile accident. Well, how do you provide for medical care for that person? In this case, they were, um, they were uh, you know, so bad off, they were in a coma and, and the parents didn't want to use extraordinary measures to keep them alive uh, on a ventilator or whatever. You can't just tell the nurse pull the plug, because uh, you know the person who's interested in it has to be watched, and so you have to create what's called a conservatorship. In that case, an emergency conservatorship for medical decisions for somebody on behalf of somebody as well. But certainly for financial situations, somebody's incapacitated. And I had a case where he actually was a real estate investor with a lot of property, and he never created a living trust for himself to protect his assets. And unfortunately, he became mentally incapacitated. And so the family had to create a conservatorship. And the problem with that is, is it's, it's like having the government manage your affairs. You have to hire an attorney. Any other family members can hire attorneys. People can object. Everything requires going to court. Every court appearance is hours of legal fees. Uh, it costs, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So conservatorship is an entity that's created to make decisions on behalf of somebody else and then you go to the court to get certain actions done, like selling property on behalf of the conservatee. The person who's, who's in the conservatorship, whose interest the conservatorship is created for, is called the conservatee. And so you can't just sell their house. You have to go to court and then go through court approval. And those, that is often sold in probate court. So you go to probate court and you'll see a sale. It's technically not a probate case. It's technically a conservatorship but in LA County, it's sold, in most counties, it's sold and, and managed in the same court that handles probate. So I think of that as being a probate case. Similar to conservatorship is a guardianship, the difference being guardianships are for minors. So sometimes you have parents pass and leave property to minor children who can't, don't have the capacity to make their own decisions illegally. 
And so you have a guardianship until they're old enough to make their own decisions. I think that's what happened with Michael Jackson. I think with Prince, maybe. But for sure, Michael Jackson had kids who money had to be left for. And how do you manage that? And you create guardianships to protect their interests because he didn't have a trust. If you can imagine, with all the attorneys Michael Jackson had in his life, he didn't have a living trust. Absolutely crazy to think about that. So anyhow, that's what it is. And so sometimes they're at home. Sometimes they own a house and they go to a nursing home and the house is sitting there empty, vacant. Could get vandalized, just sitting there empty. Uh, who makes the decision to rent it or not? The conservatorship. Well, if you don't have one, you can't sign a lease agreement technically. Uh, and so uh, you have to form the conservatorship and then you can have, you have the authority to act on behalf of the conservatee and the court will review the process. So when they want to sell the property, they basically, it's the same thing as a probate court. And in fact, I'm, I'm bidding one right now uh, in September uh, where uh, even the attorney didn't know the right answer. Big law firm, well-educated, out of Orange County, some fufu address. He doesn't know that he can't just make a private party sale and get the judge to agree. As I explained to him, no, the court approval means that the court's saying, I don't know about real estate, but if you're willing to sell it, if somebody else comes in as over, overbidding, they can buy it. They didn't even know that. And that means they have to do certain things in order to sell the property. They have to advertise it. They have to get a, a court-appointed probate referee to do an inventory report. He didn't, even the attorney didn't know that. And if you'd walk in the attorney's office, you'd be very impressed. You'd think he's really smart. You'd think he's very educated. And the reality is he's getting paid a lot of money to service this conservatorship. He doesn't know anything about selling the property. So, uh, Jim, the question is not just your question. That's one even, in this case, an attorney needs to find out the answers to. Did I answer your question, Jim? Is there something else in particular you wanted to ask about it? I see you're muted. Jim, no? Okay. I think maybe I answered this Okay, good. Thank you. Sophia, did you have a question? No? Okay, good. Any other questions? Because we're coming up on that time. No? So um, look, just a quick repeat, if you're in the area, uh, all season Brewing Company, 800 South La Brea Avenue, uh, me and a bunch of my colleagues from EXP are gonna be there. And if you are on this call and you see me and tell me you're on the call today, uh, I will buy you a beer or your favorite non-alcoholic beverage that they serve there. Love to have you do that. Um, thanks for being on the call today. We do this every Thursday, it's probateweekly.com. Uh, Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. All the past episodes, we do record it, send out a link to it, uh, and you can see those at uh, uh, probateweeklyepisodes.com. We can uh, support the YouTube channel, like it, uh, put notes, uh, comments in there, or subscribe to the channel, we'd love that. Tuesdays, I do a call based on real estate investing, realestateinvestingzoom.com. That's Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Love to have you on that as well. I'm Bill Gross, thelaprobateexpert.com. Uh, you can call, text, email me, put notes in the chat here if you're watching this uh, on the live stream or if you get it via email. Love to help answer questions regarding probate and conservatorships and guardianships and all the related topics. So thank you very much for being on the call today, everybody, and make this week.